Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. My name is Jason Economou. I am the Government Affairs Director for the Realtors Association of Maui, and I am joined today by Mayor Michael Victorino and Director Lori Suhako. She is the Director of Maui County's Department of Housing and Human Concerns. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Uh, this is a, a great opportunity for us. There was a lot of demand after the RAM mayoral debate um, to, to sit back down with the candidates, you in particular, Mr. Mayor, to talk about housing and, and what you and your administration have done for housing. Um, but before we get into the, the present situation concerning housing, um, this has been RAM's issue for as long as, as RAM has been around. You know, we are, are interested in housing. Our vision is a home for everyone. And we know that both of you have been involved in government for quite some time, and you're also lifelong Maui residents. So I want to start with the past before we jump into the present. I want to get your perspective on, um, you know, where this, this started with the housing crisis, about how long it's been going on, and and also if you could while you're talking about that share your experience in local government so people understand that you're not newcomers to this issue of housing that you've been dealing with the policy side of things for a while uh and if i can let's let's start with uh director suhako thanks jason um you're right i'm born and raised here on maui maui is my home and has always been even when i've lived in other places um, I have been the Director of Housing and Human Concerns in the past. I worked for uh, former Mayor Charmaine Tavares. Uh, I then accepted an appointment with Governor Abercrombie to be the state's homeless programs um, administrator. I moved back home in 2016 um, to be a caregiver for my dad, who was growing more frail at the time. And in 2019, I had the distinct honor of um, being nominated by the mayor to become the director of this department again. So this is my second um, go around at the department. Um, I think, you know, the the housing crisis, as you've described, that has existed for probably 40 years. Um, and I think it's attributable to a number of different conditions. Uh, it's expensive to develop housing. Um, land is Land is expensive. We live on a finite mass of land. I mean, it's not getting any bigger. We cannot expand and create suburbs like can be done on the mainland. Um, and I think that, you know, we've had this um, impression of, of homes, at least people of my generation have, where we think a home is a single family home with a yard and a fence. Um, and we, when somebody says, do you have a home? That's what we, we imagine in our brain. Um, I think we have to use better, make better use of the land we do have, which is limited. And we have to start accepting the fact that vertical construction can create more housing units and, and it also can be developed at a cheaper rate than uh, continuing to expand single family homes. So I'll now give it over to the mayor Thank you very much, Laurie. You've covered many of the main points. And the only thing I would add is, you know, it's been longer than 40 years. I remember as a kid. Now, Jason, I've got to correct you. I wasn't born and raised here. I was born on a big island, but I used to come here because my mom was from Maui and I spent many of my um, summers with my maternal grandparents. And I watched Maui change from an agricultural economy to a hospitality economy. And uh, I moved here in 1973 and I've been here ever since. So next year, this wet, not snot-nosed 20-year-old that arrived in 1973 would have been here 50 years, Jason, 50 years. So I guess when you're talking at my age, my majority of my life has been here. But going back to what Laurie said, you know, the variables that she mentioned is very true. We haven't, we haven't since we built Dream City, which was the first and only major shift in moving people from different areas to a central area called Kahului. If you had come here in 1960, Kahului was nothing but Kiavi and beyond that, sugarcane fields. Today, it's a sprawling, uh, almost, this is our only urban corridor, it's right here in Kahului. And we have Ka'ahumano Shopping Center, which I came here in 1973 to open up the Zales Jewish store. And I saw all the changes that occurred. And this past Saturday, we spent 
the 50th anniversary of Kaahumano opening here in Maui County. And do you know there's just a handful of stores that are there today that were there 50 years ago. Sears is gone, right? Liberty House is gone, right, Laurie? Um, Macaroni's, Kenny's, all that was there when I came, all gone, all different. But we, so let's concentrate on home uh, housing. And I'm sorry, Jason, I get, get carried away, but it's really important for the history of those who have not lived here for a very long period of time to understand why and where we are today. Lawyers hit a number of really important points. I think another thing is this problem about housing is not just Maui County, it's statewide and nationwide. And it's been really with the pandemic really got out of hand because many of these facilities that produce product shut down because when the COVID-19 or at that time the coronavirus first started, the nation shut down in general, all across the nation shut down. And so many of these industries, all the producers of material shut down accordingly, thinking that they weren't gonna come back to 23, 24. But there was a resurgence once we found the vaccination and vaccine made a big difference, death rates, and we got a better understanding of what the COVID-19 was all about. Even the variants that we've worked with, the variant has produced different strains, but we've been able to overcome. And now we're at a point where I think COVID is in the rear view mirror, not out of sight, but in the rear view mirror. And so now how do we get the economy and everything kickstarted? Well, we get this war in the Ukraine that makes gas prices go out of sight again. Then we have this recession and now they've hiked interest rates to slow down the recession. You know, so it's like one problem compounds another problem. I think another thing that really is gonna be important we need to discuss is the strict zoning restriction and the complex building codes that Maui County has. And we need to go in depth in that area, Jason. I think that's really, really important. However, this administration has produced almost 1,100 new units since I've taken office. We have 742 right now being built, and we have 4,500, almost 4,600 units in the pipeline. So the, the future is very bright for us in Maui County. Uh, but it's going to take us some years. We're going to have to develop a new waste treatment system uh, up in here in Central Maui, move it away from the ocean. Um, water and other issues have to be met. But I think we're in a good place, and you know, Laurie and I, and a lot of the other people that have been working on this, see a bright future right now. And so I want Ram and the rest of the county to be assured that we are in, we are moving in, the, in a very rapid and quick direction. We just had groundbreaking for the 326 units at the uh, Wailuku Apartments, the Linda Schatz project right here on the corner of Honopilani and Kuilani Highway. And, uh, you know, this is very exciting news, you know, because, not I'm sorry, not Kuilani, Kuikai. You know, I get so many different names, Jason, I make mistakes sometimes. But I just want to stop here and give Laurie or you a chance to ask another question or to continue on. Jason, you're on mute. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I, I would love to, to ask another question. And I want to direct this question at, at Director uh, Suhako because your, your audio is a little bit messed up again. So I want you to try muting and unmuting a couple of times. Um, uh, now, Lori, you know, the mayor is kind of getting into to what the administration has been working on. 1,100 new units is is amazing. I, you know, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I feel like that's a significant uh, increase from what we've had over the past decade. And and if if you could, um, you know, with somebody with, with, you know, a keen knowledge of the history, if this has been going on for 40 years, What's kept us from from keeping up with with pace? You know why why haven't we been able to get you know 1,100 new units in in short periods of time before? Um, could you dig into that a little bit? And you know that the basic gist of it is why are we in this crisis? Why has it persisted this long? Yeah, I I think it um, there's multiple reasons, Jason. Uh, I think you know like the mayor mentioned just a little bit, we're our community is not unique. So same housing shortages exist in um, on Oahu, on the Big Island, on Kauai, and really in, in many, many countries, um, excuse me, many, many cities across the country. So we're, we're not 
an island by ourselves where we're the only people dealing with this. I think the mayor also touched upon uh, zoning restrictions and the complexity of building codes um, that were not necessarily developed um, in the same in the same time frame. So you might have had building codes being done in the in the 40s or the 50s or the 60s, and then you sort of planning and zoning processes that occurred later in the 90s or the 2000s. So they're not exactly um, meshed. Um, and I think the planning department is undergoing um, some revisions to their chapters to try and address some of those issues. Uh, cost is another thing. You know, it's very expensive to develop here in, in Maui. Um, I think that when the residential workforce housing uh, law was passed, I think about 2006, there was sort of a um, unspoken but inherent perception that developers were just out to make money. You know, like a housing developer is just a money grubbing crook and they just want to make their money and, and they don't care anything about money. Um, and so it said, you know, the law said, well, if you're going to make housing for the market level people, then you have to create 50% of that. Um, that number of housing has to be done in the affordable range. And it sounded like a great idea at the time. It, you know, it sounded like, ah, oh, yeah, we're going to make the developers pay for more housing for our local people. Um, but the resulting, the, res the result was actually counterintuitive, which meant that we didn't have very many housing developers being willing to do that. Uh, they just took their money and their ability to develop housing and, and move to Oahu or move to the big island and, and did housing development there because the requirement wasn't so high. Um, since the uh, revisions made to the our Maui County Code 2.96 that reduced that burden to 25% versus 50%, I think we've had several thousand units um, built. And I think that speaks to um, a small group of committed developers who want to develop housing. You know, they're, they're, they live here. They're part of this community. They, um, they have construction partners who live here and who work here and want to make this a better place. So I think that has helped a lot. Um, I just think we just haven't kept up with the demand every year. Um, and more recently, uh, for anybody who's watched um, council meetings or especially committee meetings where we're talking about housing, um, there's more and more NIMBY, you know, not in my backyard. Uh, you know, I am in favor of affordable housing, but, and there's a long, you know, dot, 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 dot that comes after that. Um, it's um I, I love that that you mentioned that and and it's really fascinating because what we usually think of of the NIMBYs, um, you know, the not in my backyard moniker kind of comes from this mainland perception of you know wealthy suburbs that don't want affordable housing in their backyard in their immediate area. And you know that that's not the sort of thing that you might associate with groups on Maui, especially the groups that pay heavy lip service to housing and the need for housing for our, our local people. And yet once there's a project that's workforce housing, that's when you get this weird progressive version of NIMBY that comes out and it, and it says, oh, but, but that's not, it's not the right project. It, it's only, we need the right project. And this one, it's, it's too close to me, so it's not there. It's like, oh, we need more solar energy, but don't put it near my house. Yes. Uh, it's it's fascinating this this movement on Maui of the the progressive NIMBY, um, but even even more so. Um, what I've what I've noticed is that you know, with elections, a lot of people are are paying lip service to to housing and affordable housing and the need to to house folks. Um, yet these same people often have policies that are completely opposed to any new development, and. Yeah. I, I want to know, you know, from your perspective, can you be for housing, but but against any new development? Is that is that really an option? What happens if we don't build houses for our local residents? I think you know. Can you hear me now? It's still pretty garbled, Mayor. Okay. No, sir. Sorry. 
getting very frustrated. But anyhow, Chris, please answer that question for me, and I'm going to try and see something. I turned off the video because I thought maybe that would help. But that's what seemed to help, help. Yeah, maybe um, if you try and exit the room, and, and I'll let you back in while, while Lori answers this question. Okay, we're ready. Yeah, I, I, you know, it makes me really sad to think uh, about what would happen if we continue on our pace and not have enough housing for people. Um, what happens is, um, you know, our children, our grandchildren, uh, great-grandchildren are going to be forced to move someplace where they can afford to buy a house. Um, uh, home ownership is one of the key ways we're taught to build generational wealth in families. You know, um, I think that that has been true for my grandparents. My parents has been true for my, my siblings and I, um, that we're happy that we have homes uh, to gift our children when, when it's time to do that. Um, if families are not able to buy a home that's affordable to them, uh, they're going to go elsewhere to find that. And I think that, um, you know, if, Jason, if you if you really look at um, how families operate at our finest, uh, we have we have intergenerational re relationships with our grandchildren, uh, you know, with great grandchildren. Sometimes, sometimes grandparents end up end up raising their grandchildren because of other issues, or we have grandchildren helping to provide care for grandparents. Um, in the case of my family. Uh, I came home to help take care of my dad. Um, those sort of caregiver supports, uh, the things that keep us close as families don't get to be done when you're 3,000 miles away from each other. Now, do families survive that? Yes, they do. And even uh, people who don't have family members close by sort of create a family to meet those needs. Uh, but to me, that's one of the really... Um, that's really one of the sort of the unspoken about consequences of what happens when we don't have housing to meet the needs of people. Uh, I don't want our community to become only for the super rich who can afford to live here. Um, I think we need we need a variety of people to live here. We need, uh, which is why you know one of the mayor's um, one of the mayor's focuses over the last. Um, few years has been that we really need housing at every level of the continuum. We cannot just focus on building housing for those people who um, make very little money, affordable rentals, and forget that housing at higher levels of income also have to be uh, allowed to be developed. So um, we may have, you know, if we only did one end of the spectrum and not the other, uh, we wouldn't be able to attract medical staff to work at our hospitals. We wouldn't be able to keep um, firemen and policemen to keep us our social safety net intact. Um, and yet, if we don't have affordable rentals, uh, people who make less money, um, those, those people who uh, might be working fast food or might be uh, waiters in hotels or you know, any other job, uh, uh, delivery people won't be able to live here either. So I think if we have only uh, housing for one level and not for the entire continuum of, of income levels, our whole community suffers from that. We, we wouldn't be able to survive long term. I agree. I, I agree completely. That was that was one of the, the most um poignant lessons, I, I guess, from the early days of the pandemic, that, you know, this idea of what's essential is a pretty, pretty broad idea. Um, and, you know, during during those early days, we saw that that servers, waitstaff, delivery people, factory workers, those folks are definitely essential and they weren't being seen as such. But then, you know, medical personnel, even, you know, financiers, real estate people, you know, these folks were all in essential industries to keep the economy going too. So, you know, it, it wasn't just um, one group or another that was viewed as essential. And that's kind of the way that, that 
we kind of need to approach housing. Uh, if, if we want to have a robust society with the diverse abilities, um, we need a, a diverse uh, options for housing. And, and yeah, so I, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, um, I, I want to know, you know, stepping into the present and let's see, uh, Mayor, can we check your audio? Can, can you say something? I, you got us here, Jason. Yes, you sound much better now. Excellent. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Switch the video on. And then this next question is um, for you, which is we're in the present now. Uh, what is your administration done? to address the housing crisis. Um, you know, we, we know that you were on the council for a long time. You were influential in, in getting the affordable housing fund and things, but, but now as, as mayor of Maui County, um, what have you guys been up to? What can you tell the voters and the residents? Well, first of all, we've entered in a number of public private partnerships. Uh, first, starting with the Waikopo town country, uh, where we are going to build infrastructure and by building the infrastructure to the property line, saving the developer thousands of dollars, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending how extensive the, the uh, project is. This will also help build more and commitment to the, from the developer is to give us more workforce housing, affordable units to purchase and for obtainable units to purchase, as you say, and affordable rentals. So I'm excited about that. We did that with Waikapu. And we're now looking at some other developments that we're, we're on the books right now to, ch to change that into public-private partnerships where we take on the responsibility of infrastructure development, which is a big cost to the developer. And that way we will save the general public, especially in the obtainable uh, housing and affordable uh, rental area, millions of dollars in the long run when we build approximately 5,500 units over the next four years. That's our goal. And I don't think it's an unobtainable goal. We built 1,100 units in, in nearly four years during a pandemic, during such uncertain economic times. The biggest challenge we face will be materials. Uh, materials because material prices have gone up two and 300%, but we're seeing a solid decline in that area, inflation. And now with high interest rates, and you know what I'm talking about, Jason, interest rates from went from two and a half now up to six and a half percent, basically to get into a home. And you know, of course, there's some federal programs, FHA and others that give you lower interest rates, but you got to qualify when you're talking about AMI and all that uh, average uh, medium income. You know, there's different issues that have to be met. But even with all of those, what I call roadblocks, uh, I think we can achieve these over the next five years. The second part of it, as Malori had mentioned, 2.96 updating it from the 1960s and, and 70 rules to what we call modern rules today and doing away with some of the what I call redundant policies and ordinance that overlap each other. And that's something we started working on. And when my second term, we hope to accomplish that very early on so that we can start moving on, uh, on building because one of the biggest processes is government. It takes too long. And that's money that's being spent and wasted while the developer has to pay all these interest payments and other, he passes it on to you, the consumer. So we've got to work hard in this area. So for me right now uh, and, uh, and our administration is we've turned the tide in this sense and we're moving. You know, we want prosperity for everyone, but more importantly, we want a decent resident for every person that works and lives here whether they're making 30% of the income or 140% of the income. The other area is with the uh, Nahale Omawi and the uh, hospital uh, um, uh, foundation. We've given up 36 lots so that they can develop, develop housing for doctors, nurses, medical technicians, and on Nahale for our teachers, our firemen, our police department, and our police officers. Many of those that are in the higher end and many of them are professionals who marry professionals, and they are making 140% of the medium income, but they cannot afford the high prices of the homes that we have here in Maui County. And finally, multifamily units. You mentioned that earlier. 
the millennials and the gen generation are very different than we are. They want to have something to live in, but not all the responsibilities of taking care of. They don't want yards. They don't want all the other extra uh, responsibilities that a home may bring, but they want a unit to live in, you know, and they're willing to share units also. It's a different generation. So we have to start moving in that direction, Jason. You know, Mayor, it's, it's interesting that you say that. Um, I was I was having dinner with some of my friends who are also, you know, young professionals, parents, we've all got babies. And um, we were talking about new developments and, and new developments that, that are are on their way with, with different types of housing, including uh, tiny homes. And, uh, and a lot of people were saying, pardon? What'd no, no, go ahead, Jason. Oh yeah, um, and, and so so my friends were were saying that um, you know their parents were kind of poo pooing the idea of tiny homes, and uh, their whole argument is no, that's we're happy. We we want the opportunity to get a tiny home because maybe we can't own one of the the newer condos that's a three bedroom. Maybe we can't own the the single family house right away, but that opportunity to start out in a tiny home is is more than what we have right now with this this really dwindling inventory that's kind of a lot of it is aging out um you know i i think i've spent so much time working on my house that was built in the 40s that that i think i i might like something a little bit smaller that takes a little bit less effort to keep uh keep up you know well you know jason that's a good point uh tiny homes and uh smaller units and that's why i say also multifamily units will be easier to um develop you can build more in a smaller area. You know, we talk about infrastructure costs, but we also have to talk about the internal costs of operating any kind of development. You need police, fire, you need uh, public works, you need refuse. So when you build these multifamily units, you condense a lot of that in a smaller area and need less police officers, less public work, less uh, uh, other, other departments needs to be taking care of these units because now, for example, most of the multifamily home um, units, you have a separate refuse area where everything goes into a dumpster and the rubbish, you know, the uh, uh, refuse comes and picks up the dumpster once a day, not go to 25, 30 homes in an hour, picking up 25, 30 cans of, of garbage, right? So there's another savings there in, 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 in that area. Water becomes less usable because you don't have yards to water and sewer becomes less because it's condensed. Everything becomes smaller, more condensed, but more importantly, more convenient. You can build bus stations near these developments where they now have 50, 100 units and they stop one place and they can all congregate, jump in, like when in Waikiki or in downtown Honolulu. But I don't, and I think people that live here don't wanna see 40, 50 story units. I think if you're talking maybe four or five max, I think it's very acceptable with the community, maybe six, but I think four or five would be really well received in the community at large because we have a lot of Kaoloi towns, uh, town development is three stories. Um, Harbor Lights, I think it's eight stories. I mean, there's a number of apartment buildings that are three or four stories high throughout the county of Maui, and most people accept that as being okay. But if you go for 10, 15, 20 units or more, uh, I think you're gonna have a big pushback in that area. And finally, I think by condensing and having more, uh, 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 not sprawl, but uh, smart growth. Yeah, well, smart growth, uh, I think what I'm looking for is more compact growth. Oh, density. Yeah. Yeah, condensing the growth. Yeah. I think it's better for everybody because the cost can be shared amongst all of those who live there, including the developer. And uh, I think you get a sense of community because some of the condos in Oahu, they have their own associations and you have your own get togethers, your own association parties. I belong to one of them in, in Kaneohe, Nanikoa And we used to have every six months a get together, you know, potluck, everybody come together. You get to meet the other neighbors because we all work in families at that point. We all had young children and our children got to play in the pool and had little games. And, and we as parents got to talk story about what I do and what they did and, you know, so I think you, you can develop neighborhoods just in that kind of uh, environment. And, and maybe it's not the same as 10 homes on a street and you know you have 10 different families, 
But I think that's the way we're going. I think the millennials and the gen generation really are looking at that as being an alternative to degrading our land and our environment. Yeah, I think it's it's a smart compromise. Um, you know, it's it's sort of what what needs to happen if we if we're serious about more housing and if we're serious about the government wisely spending its money to help that housing get developed. It makes sense what you're talking about to to keep things in you know less sprawled out. It protects more of the land, maintains more opportunities for people to enjoy the Maui that they grew up on with a smaller footprint for more housing opportunity for our kids and our grandkids, giving them a chance to stay here. And, and you know, what, what Director Suhako kind of touched on too, when you have these, these multi-generational families that are forced to leave because they can't afford housing, um, it, it really degrades the, the culture of a place too. And of course you need in-migration of other people and that, that benefits the culture of a place because you know, that's why Maui has such great food options. You know, we've, we've got, <laughs> you can find snacks from all over the world over at, at uh, you know, any farmer's market, which is pretty great. Um, you know, we, we need people uh, to come here, but we also need people to stay here with, with the, the, the culture that they've developed over time. You know, Maui's a, a special place. So it's a real shame that, that there are so many, you know, anti-development folks, even when it's smart growth. Um, and that's kind of what I, I love about about your approach as well, Mayor. Um, you don't point fingers uh, at, at people when it comes to this housing issue is is what I've noticed. And, and the goal is kind of to figure out how to get more housing in a way that's that's kind of agreeable. Um, whereas we have a lot of people who, who aren't really searching for more housing and they're just interested in pointing fingers. So I, I like your your pragmatic approach here. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. So we, we kind of dug into to some of this. Um, when it came to, ah, so what I wanted to ask you about, uh, regarding some of the, the solutions that you mentioned, um, what, what are some of these barriers when it comes to zoning and, and permitting and whatnot that your administration is looking to reduce? I know you said you're working on it and you hope to really implement um, the, the majority of it in your second term, but could you give us a sneak peek as, as far as where you're seeing these barriers? Well, Laurie, I'm gonna let you take some of the first ones and what you don't cover, I'll cover, if you don't mind, Jason. Not at all. Okay, thanks, Jason. So I think, you know, the, the mayor has sort of broken down his approach to affordable and attainable housing into three strategies. And, and the one that you're talking about is to reduce barriers to home construction. Um, mayor has said this before, it takes a long time for government to process its business. You know, there, there are many sort of regulatory barriers that projects have to overcome. So one of the first things that the mayor did was to um, develop what, what we refer to as the AMEN process. And it's an acronym for Attainable Housing Maui Nui. And uh, it's really a way to get all of the relevant county department heads together in a room to meet with developers very early in their planning process. So um, that rather than having the developers spend a lot of money going down a road that has so many obstacles and is gonna be a no in the end, it's giving them that consultation with the government departments early on, having people there to answer their questions, having people there to kind of bring up, well, did you think about this? Did you think about that? And having those discussions in a very open, um, you know, not a secretive way, very open, and giving those developers those that consultation time with the departments directly, so that they don't have to do that individually, one by one by one with different people. Having it all done, uh, it gives opportunities for those developers to move their projects along much more efficiently and with fewer barriers because. They've addressed all of the concerns of the departments early on in their own process, right? Uh, that's been a remarkable, um, I think, time saver. If you uh, look at some of the projects that have been, um, that have received 
approval by the council over the past two years or so, Halekaiola is actually um, digging. They're, they're in vertical construction right now. They were the first project that got uh, processed as a MCC 2.97 project. Um, there's been other projects that have come back, you know, some sometimes several times to follow up on consultations with the departments. But I'll tell you that um, as a department that has that has um, participated in that process, it has been really helpful to hear from the developers, to listen to their concerns. Um, and I think if you talk to them as well, they'll say that it helped them to be able to state their concerns or to raise their questions and have them answered uh, in front of all the other departments. Um, and it helps to know that everybody heard the same thing at the same time so that, you know, nobody can say, well, so-and-so told me this. And then you, you go down the road with that idea and then find out later, oh, I never said that, right? So it, it makes things more efficient. And I think that it has, um, it has been one of the key things that the mayor has provided leadership on to sort of deal with those barriers. Thank you, Laurie. That you know you covered most of the important points. Um, I'll just add this. You know, I learned a long time ago when you can collaborate, compromise, you find results, and they come much quicker. When you're antagonistic and always in a battle mode, you never get much done. And I think that's what we try to change the whole dynamics when it comes to housing and Maui County. Uh, even with the environmental groups, I think I've met them sometimes halfway, um, sometimes a little more than halfway. And I'm proud to say that because of the open space that we've been able to purchase, I know you're saying, what does that have to do with housing? But that showed us, that showed them commitment that we want to keep Maui Maui. But as statistics have shown, if we didn't, if we closed the gates today, Jason, stop anybody new from coming on island, we still have about a 4% increase in population with births versus deaths. So we would need homes no matter what, even if we had no new residents arrive. However, we know residents have come. We've had enough influx of people that work remotely, that came to Maui or to Hawaii to be safe because we're one of the safest states in the world, in the nation. And so that made things more difficult. Again, another dynamic that we really didn't talk about but over the last two and a half years has developed. Now, some of them are returning and we're seeing housing prices start to slowly come down. In Maui, it goes up fast, but slowly come down. Like gasoline, went up real fast, but slowly come back down. It will come back down, but what we really need is an inventory. You and the realty business and Ram will agree. Without inventory, we'll always have this problem of high-end housing, even those like you said, 1940s home that's all dilapidated and falling apart. People are buying them at outlandish prices and fixing them up. You're spending all your time doing it, but others have the money to spend to fix it up. And then all of a sudden, that house that was in Wailuku or Kahului in a neighborhood that was at 300 or 400 or 500,000, now is $1.1 million. I've seen that around my, my son's Kealani development. Houses right next to him have sold for $700,000, $800,000. And his house, when he bought it some 12 years ago, 15 years ago, was only $358,000. You look at an increase, that's a heck of a return on, on your investment. And you know, this is something I've got to say publicly. Many families, that is our only investment for our future, for our college, for our children to go to college. I mean, this is, you know, maybe part of the plantation mentality, but I think it's a true thing about America. You buy a home so that one day you can retire and live with it and, 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 and in essence, pass it on to your next generation. The challenge we've had here is many people have left because they had other opportunities in other places and never returned. And so when finally the parents pass away, and I've had this right up in here, White Oak House, three homes in the last five years have sold because the kids, the children, their inheritance, they didn't want to come back. They already had their lives in the mainland. So they sell the home and they sell it for a good profit. No offense to them, but that's a market price home that's no longer, uh, I mean, a 
affordable home that's no longer because it's a market price home now. So I, I see all the challenges we face, and that's not going to change overnight. But if we develop a major inventory of housing, especially workforce housing, and the council wants to put in restrictions that if you buy, like for example, the Bessel Brothers up here off of Kuikai, Kuilani, uh, Kuikai Highway, right? You want to build on the other side of Kuilani um, subdivision, right? Um, that they cannot, nobody from the minute can buy it. Um, uh, they got to sell it to the county first, and they're putting all these restrictions in there. I don't know if that's going to work. It sounds good, but will that work in the long term? How will families feel five or 10 years from now? You know, they may, they may balk at that and say, no, we should have the right to sell our house at a market price, you know? So what we, what we say today can change in 10 or 15 years. That's the real challenge you face. But unless we start building, and I think we have all these units in, in the pipeline, let's start building. Once we build and once we've got it there and our workforce can start living in it and, and, and raising their families in it, then maybe we'll see a downturn as far as pricing is concerned. Because when there's lack of inventory in any product, the price goes up. When there's too much, what happens? The price generally comes down. So I'm working the, the American dream, but with the reality that market de determines what happens. And I think we are in a good place right now. We can turn that market around and bring prices down so our workforce can develop, can raise their families here. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think what a lot of people don't understand is that small scale development is largely what drives luxury home development. Um, you know, extremely high end luxury homes aren't done on a massive scale. A lot of times it's, it's done, you know, lot by lot um, by wealthy individuals who want a home or by, by people with ability, contractors with ability that already have entitled land. When it comes to workforce homes or affordable housing, that is the type of stuff that, that if we want to see it, it requires some compromise from the government and some involvement from the government. What you guys have been talking about with you know, providing this infrastructure and making these public-private partnerships. Uh, and and this, this nimbyism that's, that's taken root on Maui isn't stopping the, the the development of luxury home after luxury home on individual lots. It's stopping the development of workforce homes and some market rate homes, not even luxury homes most of the time, just market rate and workforce homes. And, and so I think it's really important that, that people recognize that, um, you know, and, and being anti-development isn't stopping the type of development they think it is. Um, and, and when it comes to, to housing and affordability, this is where I have to make my, my usual plug for Nahale Omaui. You mentioned that, that you recently um, have been working with them to, to provide those land trust houses um, that, are, that are specific to, to healthcare professionals, to the hospital as well. Um, and, and yeah, we love the idea of land trust housing. And I also want to touch on something else that you said. Um, we are we here at, at the Realtors Association are often sort of vilified um, with anybody else that thinks that that we need more housing. And there's often this perception that that we just want to cover Maui with houses, and that's completely untrue. Um, you know, our our members, our residents here, and they understand that that what makes Maui so special is that it's not you know Waikiki. And, and that's they don't want to turn it into Waikiki. So so I I think. A lot of that fear mongering has been great at, at you know generating votes from uninformed voters, um, but it, it, it's really been detrimental to to the process of getting housing for folks because you know Lori, you, you said it, it vilifies um, the people that are building the homes that we rely on to build the homes, and you can't mandate them to to do something while also vilifying them and expect it to get done. Now, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, Sorry Jason. That, that is so true. You know, I, I think the other thing too is that, um, you know, in that in that same vein of these luxury homes, is um, many times those homes get built without anybody knowing. You know, we we don't get notified. They, those homes don't need to come 
before the county council to get approval to be built, right? They're just built. And then we find out about it later. Uh, what we shouldn't be doing as a county is we shouldn't be piling on so many requirements on, on top of requirements, on top of requirements, on top of requirements to make the development of affordable housing so restrictive and so cumbersome that none of the developers want to work with us. We have, I would say, one handful, maybe five or six developers who've done projects for workforce housing or affordable housing over the past five years or so. And, um, you know, we, the county depends on those developers to do these, to build these homes in partnership with the county. Um, and some of them get, depending on how they choose to package their project, they may get some exemptions because they're entitled to that. Um, because they're building 100% affordable projects, but it's it it makes it hard for people to understand that developers need to have a little bit of profit in order to go on to the next project. Yeah. And if they don't understand the economics of that, and if there's always an expectation that, you know, you know, I want you to build for a hundred year flood, it's flood instead of a 50-year flood or, you know, um, can't you build a retaining wall that's, you know, 15 foot high instead of only five foot high? So it's these little things that kind of add up that make these projects almost undoable. And then when they're not built, everybody's scratching their head going, well, how come they never built that? Yeah. It's because it's too expensive because the price we extracted from them in order to get the approval costs too much money. And, and they can't do it. And it took too long, if I may add. Many times it takes so long. Many projects that have been on the books since I was on a council in, in the early 2000, uh, late 2007, 8, 9, uh, Kai Vahini and some of these, uh, uh, the uh, Kinoleo apartments uh, uh, across uh, off the highway in, in uh, what do you call that, off of uh, Pilani Highway. Um, these apartments, where, where when I was on a council in 2009, 10, 11, we discussed them, approved them, and then they went dormant. Then we had the recession, then COVID, and then, you know, it took whatever. It takes so long to get them built. And by the time they build it, it costs probably two times, sometimes three times what we originally projected. And that's a loss for the, the consumer. The consumer eats that cost, you know, so when we can expedite projects and really truly expedite and get things done in a quick, efficient manner, let the developer develop. Let's, let's help them with the infrastructure. I think that's my biggest commitment to all the developers is let's build infrastructure, which is one of the bigger and more encompassing part of a project, especially when you build something that's two miles from the nearest sewer, water, electrical, and all of the other uh, amenities that you need to have for a subdivision. Uh, so that's why infield is really important, building uh, a multi-story or, or, or condensed uh, units is another big part of this uh, because everything is there already. The infrastructure is right in front of the property line, generally speaking, and so they can start building on a real quick manner. But we have, like Laurie said, layer after layer after layer of ordinances, good, well-intended policies have piled up now and is really a roadblock in all of this. And this is why we're working now to, to eliminate some of that, change some of the policies that are antiquated that shouldn't be there. Our MAPS program is supposed to be a, you know, make it all automated. And it's been running into some challenges and we've had to um, put different programming or revitalize, re revert to some older programs that weren't there. Um, so it's taking us a lot longer than we expected, but it's coming together. And I believe once we get the MAPS program in place where you can automatically go on and see where your project is, is at any moment, I think that's going to be a big help. But most importantly, again, is working, like Laurie said earlier, starting from the beginning. And another big partner that we've left out and not spoken on much today is Hawaiian Homes. Hawaiian Homes has a plan for over 650 units uh, here in Maui County. And with uh, the Punanil site, maybe with the farming and the uh, agricultural lots, another 300 to 350. We're talking nearly a thousand units from Hawaiian homes, which will afford 
the, the beneficiaries who've been waiting in some, like in some sad cases, have passed away. The opportunity to have land and have a home, have an agricultural plot to build and to develop. And so I, I'm looking forward to working closely with them in our next, yeah, uh, our next uh, uh, term, because right now they're all, they got a lot of money, they wanna build, and now we need to help them build. So there's so many great things on the horizon. And I think once we start building and we build really, like you said, smart growth, infill, um, developing where infrastructure is, and developing the new infrastructure we need, like the central wastewater treatment plant, which is going to be pivotal. It will lessen the burden on the Kauri plant, which abuts a bird sanctuary, the ocean, a park, and small businesses. It was built when there was nothing there back in the 70s. Now a lot have grown around it, and especially the bird sanctuary. I'm always worried if there was ever a spill, how environmental, big environmental impact. Excuse me. I'm still on the phone. And so, um, you know, I'm sorry about that. Um, it's so important that we, you know, look at that waste treatment plant that probably, waste, I mean, the uh, central waste water treatment plant. And most importantly is diverting 70% of central Maui's waste to that in that direction. So we can produce our one water for which agriculture abuts that area, not only Mahi Pono, but Kumu farms and other, um, uh, agricultural areas in that area, and we can reduce the dependency on not only potable water, but water being drawn out of our aquifer, even if they are only, uh, not artesian wells. What is the other one? Uh, I forgot. Uh, no, not aquifer. It's, um, no, I, I, I truly forget what the term is, but there's another term that we utilize. Um, and, uh, a lot of our parks use that type of water uh, brackish water, that's the one, brackish water. And you know, you might not think brackish water is important, but if you draw enough brackish water, it starts to intrude into the salinity levels. You know, I'm not a geologist, so don't ask me all the specific questions, but in the 25 years I've been working with water as a council member of water, water supply, and as a citizen, I've learned a lot that if you affect one, like the aquifer, you affect salinity, you select then, even groundwater, everything has a has a uh, a place in, in in developing our water sources. So it's really important we all look at what we do and how we build and where we build, and most importantly, let's look at how we can use low flow toilets, uh, low low flow uh, showers, um, gray water. There's so many things on the books right now that we're working at that we can change the dynamics of Maui and not have to force ourselves to use East water, East Maui water, and other areas. We can develop water here in central Maui with what we have. And wastewater is a key component using R1 water, which is resource water, I call it now, not recycled, resource water for many projects throughout our county. I like that rebranding of R1 water. Um, we, we should be using more of the, the resource water. I agree with that. Um, now, now I'm, I know you've been super generous with your time and I've, I've been kind of demanding with it. Um, I just want to ask a couple more questions and I want to ask, we've been talking a lot about how you've been helping with development, but I also know your administration has a lot of programs just focused on individual residents and, you know, empowering them and, and giving them the ability to qualify for homes. Um, and in some cases, you know, assisting them financially to maintain the homes that they have already. And so would you mind just sharing a little bit about those efforts and where people could learn about those? Laurie, I'll let you start with that and then I'll close with whatever you forget. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. So, um, Jason, the, the, the county has, has done a lot to promote, um, uh, home ownership. So uh, for several years, we've administered the first time home buyers down payment assistance program. Uh, you know, interested families can go to um, www.mauicounty.gov, find the department and go through. There's a there's a pretty good brochure on there that describes eligibility. Uh, we can provide as as much as thirty thousand dollars per applicant. Um, 
for down payment assistance, closing costs, um, that sort of thing to help with the purchase of a home. Uh, the rising cost of homes have made it more difficult for more people to be able to get mortgages. Um, so they have to be pre-approved. And uh, I think in the in the next six weeks or so, we should be um, making an announcement about having a lottery for um, that first time home buyers. We have more than uh, $2 million in assistance to offer uh, those households that are that are pretty close to being able to purchase a home. In, in addition to that, um, the county has been a longtime funder of Hale Mahaolu, which provides a very broad homeowner education program for our residents. So our partners at Hale Mahaolu do things like uh, repairing people's credit, teaching them how to fix their credit history to increase their credit scores, and it makes them more what we call credit worthy. Um, so that when they're ready to buy a home and they approach a, uh, a mortgage broker for that loan, they're more likely to be um, granted that opportunity to get a mortgage. Um, Hale Mahaolu does a debt reduction. So, you know, um, many people don't think about things like this, but you don't want to go buy a new truck when you're trying to buy a new house because it's just going to add more debt and it's gonna make probably you um, not able to get a mortgage. So it's it's sort of that educational piece that goes along with wanting to buy a home. Uh, you know, many people want to buy a home, but not that many of them are eligible or could qualify to buy a home because of some of the decisions that they've made in their past. So programs like Hale Mahaolu and um, more recently Hawaii Community Assets have helped to uh, families who have that desire to become homeowners follow through with that, create a plan. It's not going to be an instantaneous panacea to years of, of kind of maybe questionable decisions, but it will help them to start building up to the point where they can, they can qualify for a mortgage. Uh, the other thing that we have is part of our Section 8 um, Housing Choice Voucher Program offers people who are Section 8 recipients a chance to participate in a family self-sufficiency program that might end up, end up with them being able to purchase a home and uh, using some of the assistance from Section 8 to help with that. So that's also a possibility for those people who are eligible and who are receiving Section 8 uh, payments. So uh, those are some of the ways that we've been trying to support uh, home ownership. And then uh, in terms of rental and utility assistance, the, the department has been administering uh, a total of almost $40 million in federal funds to help people with rent and utility assistance, especially those impacted by the pandemic. Um, we also offer um, rental assistance uh, that is not federally funded, actually county funded, uh, to help with rent supplement programs too, so that people uh, remain stably housed and we're not dealing with a larger population of people who are have insecure housing. And just to add with what you said, uh, and thank you, Laurie, you covered most of the important points. You know, we've been doing this both from the county funding and whatever HUD funding we could have for almost 30, 40 years now. And so it's not something new that we subsidize rents and other, other areas but when we had the pandemic and the federal money came in, we quickly helped those who were out of work to no fault of their own. This economy had been shut down and they had no, no income whatsoever. Yes, unemployment was available, but you know the nightmare with unemployment, Jason. And so, uh, and not everybody could qualify for unemployment. How many of them were independent contractors, entertainers, uh, and, and food vendors, and farmers, and all of this? And that's another thing I'll add that when our when we shut down the farmers are going to plow crops under and we quickly turned to buy all these crops from them and feed make food boxes we did eight million pounds of food over the first year and much of that produce that we bought from our farmers so they could keep uh, uh keep existing you know what i mean surviving and not plowing their crops under we we weren't like the main and where they had thousands of acres and they could plow down uh, uh, a thousand or 500 acres and still have crops to sell. 
how many of our farmers lucky if they get five acres, 10 acres. And so if they plow under, they, they're under, that's it. And so these are many of the programs that we started and we continue to have. The county was really generous and I wanna thank the county council. I gotta give them a kudos. When I asked for $9 million initially in March of 2020, they immediately approved it and we could get started even before CARES money arrived on our shores. And so, you know, it is a really a combination of all of our county working together. Our nonprofits like MEO was one of the big ones. Maui Federal Credit Unions and, and the Credit Union League here helped us with this with Maui Chamber. You know, how does it all equate to housing? Well, we kept people surviving during some of the most unprecedented times ever in our history. And I'm proud to say we work together. And that's something that uh, I'm very proud of as, as a leader of this community. It wasn't all about me. It's not about me being the smartest guy on the block or knowing everything or having the best degrees in the world. It was the street smarts that I learned that to survive, you gotta cooperate with everybody. I grew up in an, an era when we didn't have stores to go to, or we never went. I don't think I remember going to a grocery store till I was eight or nine years old because my parents grew things, shared with the neighbors and the neighbors shared with them. And if my mom went to the grocery store, she didn't take me because I was, I was kind of one of those rascal kids, you know? So I probably was left home, but all joking aside, it was a time when we were really more self-sustaining and we got to work towards that again. Backyard farming or backyard gardening, I think is great. School gardening, we have those programs and I'm, I'm a big supporter of that. And small farming, you know, people that maybe have half an acre, an acre, but be able to make sure that they have the necessary equipment and resources like water and other um, important issue uh, items to get that little batch of land growing food for us to eat here and consume here. Uh, and I'll close with this. You know, a lot of our stores now are buying local. You go to Costco, you see them selling local products. And I'm proud to say that during the pandemic, we really pushed that issue and they were really accommodating, not only Costco, but a lot of our, our, our stores around Maui County, Safeway, Foodland. And some of them have been doing it for a long time. Others have embraced it more lately. They said, we are in a good place. Not where we wanna be, not where we need to be, but when we get the housing crisis taken care of, in, at the same time, developing new workforce, you know, because not everybody's going to be in the, in the hospitality industry. Medical is a big area. Home care is another area. People need to be trained in that area. They're livable wages, but if we don't have housing for them, we can train them all we want and then they'll go somewhere else or we got to import from somewhere else. And so I like to stop the brain drain, as they call it. But more importantly, I want to keep our people here that want to stay here and raise their families here, like you, Jason, so we can go to Kanai and celebrate the child, your, your baby's first birthday. It was a wonderful time. It was no fancy place. But, you know, my father-in-law used to always say, the best things in life are free. Going to the park, going to the beach, you enjoy it. Those are the memories you treasure forever. And he, he was right. You know, I remember those days going fishing with my my dad in Kauai and because we were living in Kauai for a few years and you know always enjoying the weekends together and then when he came back to Big Island and, and, and we were back in Hilo he did he used to be a subsistence farmer so he'd raise pigs and cattle and you know have a little garden and you know to take care of all our needs and hey we never had much money but we lived a good life and never complained so it can be done you know I want people to know is that we just need to repurpose and refocus what we've done and have been doing. And I think change, you know what? Back to the future, I call it. We're gonna do things that we used to do. You know? And all what I've talked about was things that I did as a, as a kid, and we're going right back to where we were. And together, we can make Maui and continue to keep Maui no coal. I like it. I, I don't wanna add anything. I, I, wanna, <laughs> I wanna end this on that, that optimistic, uplifting note. You know, in uh, the last few years, Mary, you, you've had quite a lot to deal with. And uh, there were a lot of times when it was, it was hard to feel optimistic uh, or uplifted. And I, I got to tell you, it, I think we're heading, you're right, we're, we're heading in a better direction than, than we have been. I, I, think, I think you're right that we're going to return to some of the stuff that, that uh, we used to do and, and try and be a little bit simpler in our, our pleasures and, 
And I, I think Maui is going in a good direction. And I, I appreciate all that, that you and, and Director Suhako have done to be a part of that. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for, for your time this afternoon for this conversation. I appreciate My it. My pleasure. My pleasure. And you know, I want to close with this. It's not been about me, and I said that earlier. It's been about the we. All of my directors and deputy directors, my administration, all of our departments, even during the pandemic, never shut down, worked really hard. Uh, yes, we have challenges. And I'm not going to lie to anyone, but you know, I'm proud of where we're at and what we've been able to accomplish in some of the most uncertain times ever in our in our in our lifetime. And I thought I lived through some you know horrendous times. I thought the Vietnam era and 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 that era was really bad for our country. But I've seen worse times lately. But I think with the good Lord's will and our perspectives and working together and taking care of your family, like I saw you with your family and all those families, all with their little babies, you know, it's like, wow, brought back memories. Because, you know, I have great grandchildren that are older than your baby. And, you know, it's, you know, I kind of, you know, I've kind of forgotten about babies. And, and you know, of course, I never changed diapers, never changed doodle diapers, sorry, not part of my vocabulary. Well, all the rest, I love them. I, I, I take good care of them. And I want you to take care of your children so that they can look forward to a Maui we all love. And thank you, Laurie, and to all other people out there that have listened today for listening to my old man stories. But, you know, they're real stories. They're true stories. And they're really what makes Maui, Maui no going. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jason.